Hi, you're listening to the Baby Manual Podcast, the podcast that helps you feel confident as a new parent. I'm your host, a pediatrician and mom, and the author of the Baby Manual, Dr. Carol Keim. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Baby Manual Podcast. Today is episode nine, Tummy Troubles. We're going to talk about peeing and pooping, how to potty train an infant. We're going to talk about burping, gas, colic, spit-ups, reflux, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, and blood in the diaper. This is going to be great. All right, so starting with pee. You know, babies, when they're first born, we give them up to 24 hours for that first void. A lot of babies will pee when they're born or well before that 24-hour mark, but they are allowed to have that 24 hours to pee. After that, they should be peeing just a couple of times a day for the first few days, but then by day three to five, mom's milk is going to surge and baby will start to pee with every time that they eat. And usually you'll see a little bit of pee and a little poop at the same time when they're eating once mom's milk is in. You know, the volume of newborn pee is really hard to tell sometimes because it's just so small and can be really pale and it soaks right into the diaper. But if you have one of those diapers, the disposable ones with the yellow stripe on the front, that stripe turns blue when urine comes into contact with it and only urine. So like if you made it wet with water, it wouldn't change. So if you can see a little bit of blue on that stripe, you know that your baby has peed and that's great. Sometimes in those first couple days of life, you'll notice something that looks like brick dust or just like rust-colored urine. Sometimes it looks like blood, but it's not actually blood. That is uric acid crystals. And that's just from baby's first couple of peas being so concentrated. You know, if you think about how babies normally would feed in the first couple of days of life before mom's milk surges, they're just taking in this really concentrated colostrum. So they don't have a whole lot of volume in there and they do get a little bit dehydrated. So you're seeing those crystals just as a sign that they're not having enough water. But after those first couple of days when mom's milk really surges or for formula fed babies, it should start right away like to go away. And you'll see it turn into kind of a darker orange pee and within that first week should go to a normal adult color of pale yellow. Now, babies less than six months old should be peeing at least six times per day or, you know, per 24 hours. But if your baby is peeing less than that, or if they're going more than four hours between voids during the day, it could be a sign that they're dehydrated. Now, nighttime doesn't count. Babies can go a little longer at night without peeing than during the day. But during the day, if they're going more than four hours, and if your baby's been vomiting or had diarrhea and you're worried they might be dehydrated, that's a sign that they could be. So you should call your doctor at that point. And babies greater than six months old, so they can go up to six hours between peeing. Now for poop, we give them up to 48 hours for their first poops. And the first poop is called meconium. Meconium is really thick, really sticky. It's a very, very dark green and brownish color. Almost looks black sometimes. And that is formed while they're on the inside of mom. So while baby's gut is developing and baby does swallow amniotic fluid, but they're not really eating food the same way that they do once they're on the outside. So that's mostly just like dead cells lining the gut, bile, and things like that that are mixed in. So meconium is sometimes passed while the baby's on the inside. So you may have heard of uh, you know babies being born with meconium. A lot of times that's a sign that either baby is past their due date or that they're a little bit stressed. So sometimes if mom has an infection or something, baby can be, uh, or if she's in labor a really long time, some babies will pass meconium when that happens. Meconium usually lasts for the first couple of days, sometimes the first day, sometimes three days, four days. It's going to 
get a lot better <laughs> soon. I know it's like really sticks to their bottom when you try to clean it off. So the next one after that is a transitional stool. And transitional stools are green and they kind of range from like a dark olive green down to a fluorescent ninja turtle green. Anything in that range is okay. Any green is fine as babies transitioning. And then eventually they'll have some yellow seedy stools. If they're breastfed, those will be the norm for the first six months of life. For them to be yellow, even a little bit orange is okay. Um, But it kind of looks like fancy mustard. Like it's got little seeds in it or kind of looks like cottage cheese mixed with mustard. Sorry, I know this is kind of gross. After the yellow CD stools or if baby is formula fed or once you start introducing regular foods, then their poop is going to turn to brown. Once babies are eating regular foods, it, it's almost more like adult poop consistency. It gets a little bit harder. But over the first few months of life, the first four to six months of life before they're eating foods and they're only on that formula or breastfed diet, the poop should be about toothpaste consistency. So sometimes it holds together in the diaper in a formed fashion. A lot of times it's kind of liquidy. Those are all normal. But if your baby's poop is coming out really hard like pellets in the diaper, that could be a sign of constipation. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Now with hydrolyzed formulas, those are the pre-digested formulas for babies that have food allergies. And babies who take those formulas can sometimes even have gray colored stools or pale tan color. And that's normal too. So really, just about any poop color is normal. If you look in my book, The Baby Manual, I have a little poop spectrum. But generally speaking, it goes from a very dark olive green to a lighter olive to a ninja turtle green to a yellow, mustard yellow, and then to a brown. So anything in that range is okay. The rule of sevens with poop is that once babies are pooping regularly, so after those first couple of days, so around week one and as far as, you know, until they're eating solids, they should be pooping at least once every seven days up to seven times per 24 hours. And actually, to be honest, at the, for the first couple of weeks, it's more like 15, 20 times can be normal too. If you're seeing a big change in your baby's poop, you can always call your doctor about that. And we're going to talk about diarrhea in a little bit too and what that looks like because sometimes it can be hard to tell. So potty training a baby, this is a little different than potty training a toddler. And I am going to talk about that in a future episode, you know, potty training toddlers once we get into the toddler age. But right now we're still in the baby age. So you can actually potty train a newborn, which I was really surprised to find out because here in the U.S. it's very common to wait until your baby's between the ages of two and four years to even think about potty training. But also in other countries, like I've traveled quite a bit around the world and I actually did medical school in what is now Czechia. And they, I mean, it's, it's a lot more common there to potty train before a year of age and even starting in infancy. So another name for this, because you're not really, it's not quite potty training, right? What I like it, the, the name is elimination communication, because it's really about reading your baby's cues and figuring out when they need to potty, and then also giving them signals that it's time to potty. So it's a communication between you and baby in regards to their elimination. So I like the word elimination communication or EC. It's also sometimes called the diaper-free method. And I don't love this name because we still wouldn't use diapers for backups and a lot of people do. So, but I mean, some families truly are completely diaper-free. So basically I, I recommend starting around a month or two. You can start from birth, but they have that sort of, you know, for the first several weeks of life, they're just pooping and peeing every time they eat. Everything's just kind of passing through and their guts move. And then around one to two months of age, they go through a phase called discoordinate stooling. 
And I talk about that in my one month episode in detail, but basically they're learning how to coordinate their muscles to poop. And it looks like they're constipated, but they're not because it still comes out really soft. But they squeeze their belly, they squeeze their anal sphincter closed, they grunt and cry, and they're just figuring it out. Now, after that phase passes, babies will find their pattern for peeing and pooping. And typically they're still peeing about every time they eat, but they're pooping often a couple of times a day. But again, that rule of sevens applies, right? So once a week up to seven times a day. That's a great time to start the potty training or the elimination communication. Because what you can do is just bring them over the toilet every time they've finished eating. So to start with, you want to decide on a phrase or a hand signal that you're going to use. Some some people will use the signal for potty or toilet, which is a letter T in sign language in a circle, or you can just, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do to signal to your baby it's time to go, you know, like let's go potty, whatever you like. Then you bring them to wherever they're going to go. So when they're really little, you can just hold them over a sink. And actually, breastfed poop is water-soluble. So if you're having them poop over a sink and they're entirely breastfed, you can just rinse it down with water and it'll rinse right out. You can also use a potty chair, like those child potty seats, like the regular ones that are plastic that can sit on the floor. Or you can use a toilet adapter, which is a seat that sits on top of your regular toilet seat. And baby can sit on that. Now, babies cannot sit until they're between six and nine months old, at least. So you know, you're, you're holding them over it this whole time. And when they're really little, they will fall right through the middle. So you, you got to hold on to them the whole time, right? But once you get them there, you make a sound that it's time to go. So for peeing, usually it's like a kind of sound, or you can run the water, but you, know, you want to waste water. And then for pooping, you just make a grunting sound, like pretending like you're pooping as well. And that'll kind of inspire them to go a lot of the time. But the easy catches, the way that I like to start off is like with these easy catches. So babies who are peeing and pooping during diaper changes, super easy to catch those. All you have to do is say, we're going potty, take off their diaper over a toilet or a sink and let them go. Like it's very, very easy to let that happen. Right after they wake up in the morning or after a nap, a lot of times is a good time for babies to go potty. And then also after they eat, that'll naturally make everything want to move. For older babies, if you can see them pooping, so if they're a couple months old and then you see them like, you know, making a face, staring off into space, something like that, and or grunting, you know, and you see that they're pooping, that's another great time to be like, wait, let's go potty and pick them up and take them there. Now, of course, they're, they're, you're going to miss the first several and you're, it's totally fine. You know, you're going to miss probably a lot of these, but you know, as long as you're consistent with signaling baby, bringing them letting them know, they'll try to start to hold it. And a baby cannot hold their pee or their poop long enough to cause themselves any problems. So they're not going to cause themselves constipation when they're less than a year old, and they're not going to get urinary tract infections because of this. And it does take several months for them to learn how to do this. So it's a continual learning and communicating process, but I do love it. I think it's great. It's less diapers. It's less discomfort for your baby. I mean, babies don't love sitting in dirty diapers, and that's why they cry when they've peed or pooped in their diaper. So I just think it's a little nicer for them that way. Less chance of diaper rash because they're not sitting in anything. And it's actually easier to train them, I think, in infancy than in toddlerhood because you don't have that you know, struggle with the word no and the terrible twos and the defiance that happens at age three going on. So yeah, I'm a big fan of elimination communication. It takes a while for them to learn this too. Like it's still several months for them to learn how to go potty and they are still relying on you to take them there before they're mobile. So do give yourself some time with this. But with toddlers, it takes a while too. So it takes about six months for the average toddler to be potty trained 
during the daytime, like to stay dry and to not poo and have like accidents during the day. And then another six to 12 months for them to stay dry at night. So starting earlier, you know, maybe just get a little jump on it. I'm a big fan. Um, Of course, you don't have to. We have diapers. It's an option. (laughs) All right. Going on to burping. So how to burp a baby. When you're burping your baby, I I like the shoulder method best. You can sit them up on your lap, but you have to also support their neck at that time when you're tapping on their back. And it's a little trickier, I feel like. So I like to just put a burp cloth over your shoulder, put baby so that they're facing that burp cloth, and then just thump on their chest. And you you should hear this hollow thumping sound, you want to cup your hand. So not with a flat hand, but a cupped hand. And I'm going to try to do this to see if you can hear it. So you can actually thump pretty hard on a baby and they do fine. We do this in the NICU too, even with the preemies. Like you have to, you have to give it a little bit because you're shaking those bubbles up. If you think about like a soda can, you know, when you like shake a soda and then open it, right? Same sort of idea. You're tapping on the, you're tapping so that the gas comes up to the top and the liquid settles down to the bottom in their stomach. And then that allows that gas to come out. So yeah, you have to tap decently hard, but of course don't hurt your baby. But if you're just doing a light rub, you're probably just going to irritate their skin and not make them burp. When to burp your baby, you should do it when you're breastfeeding. You want to do it about halfway through. So switching sides, if you're nursing on both sides or after five to 10 minutes on one side, if they're formula fed, do it about halfway through the bottle and at the end again. Oh, for breastfeeding at the end again too, of course. The reason to burp is it decreases gas and colic and spit ups. The reason it decreases spit ups is sometimes you get, they get this like air bubble in their stomach. And then when they go to burp, like some of that, you know, liquid comes out with it. And so if you do the burps more frequently, you, you can help decrease that spit up a little bit too. And when to stop burping. So you can stop when they start burping by themselves, which is around four to six months of age on average. With gas, it's it's normal for babies to have a lot of gas and for that gas to be loud and to be smelly. And you know, a lot of a lot of moms worry that their baby has so much gas, but it's it's totally normal, unfortunately. And and hey, now you have an excuse. If you fart, you can always just blame it on the baby. Breastfed babies do tend to get a little bit more gas when mom eats things like garlic, cruciferous vegetables, beans. And caffeine. Caffeine does make your intestines move a little faster and can up the gas a little bit. But you don't necessarily have to cut these foods out. And in fact, I recommend for breastfeeding moms not to cut out anything. It's really best for your baby to have a wide variety of foods. If the gas is really bad, like, I don't know, I would just burp them more, really. And if they're in a lot of pain, you can use a medication that's called simethicone. I love simethicone. It is not absorbed at all. So it's only locally acting inside the gut. And the way that it works is it just breaks up big gas bubbles into little gas bubbles so that there's not as much pain when they pass. You can give simethicone safely up to 12 times per day. So every time baby's about to eat, either breastfeed or have some formula, you would give them, you'd look on the package, it's either a half a dropper or a full dropper, depending on their size. You give them that in their mouth and then feed them. And the thing is, it takes several hours to start working. So because it's not absorbed, it's not getting into the bloodstream. So it doesn't work until it's actually in the lower intestines, which can take even as long as like 12 hours. So what I recommend is give it at least four times in a row right before baby eats. You want to give it for four feeds to decide if it's going to work or not. And then you should start seeing the effect. But like I said, you can safely give it 12 times a day. And that is okay to do. Um, even for several days or weeks at a time if you need to, because it's not being absorbed 
babies don't become dependent on it. It's not addictive or anything. It's just a great medicine for gas for babies. Now, colic, the rule of threes for colic is that baby is crying at least three hours per day, three days per week for three weeks. Now that's quite a lot of crying. And a lot of babies, almost all babies will have some symptoms of colic at some point, but not necessarily this whole, you know, three weeks worth of it. But things that you can help, regardless of whether your baby has true diagnosed colic or just seems a little colicky or gassy, uh, tummy time is great. So putting baby on their belly on a flat surface on a blanket, so like on the floor, while they're observed for 15 to 30 minutes, once or twice a day, is something that can really help. That pressure on their tummy just helps the digestion a little bit. You can also hold them in your arms, do tummy time in your arms where they're lying face down. You've got their head in the crook of your elbow, your other hand on their back. You can rub their back a little bit and your hand, your bottom hand is on their stomach. And that pressure too can help a little bit to relieve gas. You can also lay them flat on their backs and do up and downs with the legs or do bicycle legs. Like they're pedaling a bicycle in midair. That can help pass some gas. Belly massage. If you're rubbing your baby's belly for gas, you want to go in a clockwise direction. And you can also rub their back um, when they're in tummy time or even just while you're holding them. And for that, you want to go in a counterclockwise or anti-clockwise if you're outside the U.S. direction. And that's the direction of digestion. So it helps a little bit that way. Other medicines for colic that we use. So simethicone for gas can sometimes also help with colic. Uh, probiotics are the one thing that have been shown consistently in research to actually reduce colic. So probiotics I do recommend. And as far as brands go and different, you know, specific strains of uh, bacteria that are in there and stuff, it's really, I mean, they pretty much are all good. So as long as it's something that is safe for babies and, you know, marketed for babies, it's okay to do that probiotic. Gripe water is something that a lot of parents here use that is not FDA regulated. So I cannot officially recommend that, but definitely look at the ingredients in it. And a lot of them, most of them are safe to give to babies. Make sure there's not any alcohol in it. And if you are giving it, you're only giving tiny little bits throughout the day, not enough that they would fill up on it because we don't want to dilute their diet because they're on a full liquid diet of breast milk or formula. You know, you don't want to be adding in gripe water. Of course, once they're over six months old, you don't have to worry about that as much but those kids don't get colic. They're too old. <laughs> uh, things like chamomile tea, licorice, and mint tea can really help with stomach stuff in adults. And so if a mom is breastfeeding, you can add those in. Or if you want to give a tiny bit to the baby, you can dilute that tea down and give them about a half ounce per day or less. You know, just a few drops. You can use a dropper full or a syringe or even a spoon to give it to them, um, but just tiny little bits to help settle their stomach can sometimes help. You know, there's a lot of alternative health treatments for colic as well. And since I am classically trained as a Western doctor, again, I can't formally recommend these, but I have seen some good results in a lot of my patients. And I live in I live in a place where we have a whole lot of alternative health providers. We have things like pediatric chiropractors, acupuncturists, we've got Ayurvedic medicine, we've got massage therapists and physical therapists. And all of these people can potentially help with colic. Just make sure that you know, you choose your practitioner carefully. That they are pediatric certified, because there is a very big difference between adult chiropractic and pediatric chiropractic, and adult acupuncture and pediatric acupuncture. And, and when it comes to herbs, there are a lot of things that adults can have that children cannot. So just be really careful that your practitioner knows their stuff. Things that don't really work: changing formula doesn't really work typically for colic. 
Sometimes the sensitive tummy formulas can work. With those, with the sensitive formulas, they take out the cow's milk and replace it with primarily corn syrup. So it's easier to digest. The syrup breaks down quicker, but I don't love it. And it often doesn't help with colic. So there's no formula that will treat it. And sometimes changing formulas can actually make your baby feel worse. So that's one that I don't recommend doing. All right, for spit-ups and reflux or GERD. GERD is gastroesophageal reflux disease. Reflux is when stomach contents are coming up into the esophagus. And GERD is when it's so bad that it's causing problems in your baby. So things like weight loss or poor weight gain, slow weight gain, uh, choking, arching their back, being in pain, or other kind of problems like that. Now, the lower esophageal sphincter, or LES, is the muscle that is between the esophagus and the stomach. And that forms fully between 6 and 12 months of age. So it's totally normal for babies to have reflux for the first 6 to 12 months, but not necessarily normal to have GERD. So a little bit of reflux is normal, just like if you had, say, a to-go cup with a straw in it and you laid it on its side, some of that liquid would slosh out. It's kind of what's happening in your baby when they're, when they're little before that sphincter is formed. Spit-ups are not forceful, and that's how you can tell them apart from vomiting, is sometimes they burp with it, and so sometimes there is a little bit of, like, you know, projection to it. It does go a little further, but for the most part, they are happy when they're spinning up. They could be smiling, or they're not really bothered by it, and you'll just see this, you know, milk kind of leaking out, and it can come out through their nose, too. Um, You know, make sure you suction that out so they can breathe okay, but uh, that... Coming out through the nose doesn't necessarily mean that it's any worse than if it just comes out of their mouth. The way that you can help with reflux at home before we go on to medications. So first, if you decrease the volume of feeds and increase the frequency where, you know, if you're bottle feeding your baby, this is really easy to do. If they're taking, let's say, you know, four ounces every four hours, you could go to two ounces every two hours. So it's, a, it's still the same volume throughout the day, but it's more frequent and, and less at a time. That's just because when their belly gets overfilled and then it goes to digest and slosh around, it's more likely that it's going to come up. So small amounts during a feed can, can help to, to make that go through a little bit quicker. But remember, you do have to feed them more often when that's happening. With breastfeeding, you could try popping them off a little earlier and feeding at more, often, uh, more frequent intervals, but it's more of a gradual progression. You're not going to be able to, you know, stop them immediately and then like force them to eat. It's a little harder with a breastfed baby, but it is, is possible to go, you know, more frequently and for less time. Make sure you're burping your baby well during feeding and after feeding and sometimes even just an extra burp. So like burping twice in the middle of a feed can sometimes help. There is anti-reflux formula and that has added rice starch in it. And there's also breast milk thickeners and the thickeners do the same thing that the rice starch does where they when they come into contact with the acid in your baby's stomach it turns into like more of a solid consistency so kind of like cottage cheese and it makes it stay in there or yogurt you know it's like more solid it stays in there a little better than a liquid that's sloshing around you can also add rice cereal to formula and this is the only time that we put rice cereal in the bottle is if your baby has reflux And it's only a tiny, tiny bit. So it's one teaspoon of rice cereal for every two ounces of formula or breast milk. Just a little bit in there. You can also use gravity to your advantage. So hold your baby upright for 20 to 30 minutes after a feed or have them resting with their head on your shoulder. Or um, you can have them in something 
where they're kind of seated, so like a car seat or a swing, but they do need to be observed the whole time that they're in there. And try not to rock your baby or swing them too much after they've eaten. You're holding your baby up above your head. A lot of babies will spit up when that happens. So, you know, just sort of like take it slow, take it easy after they eat, and that can help. And then you can also use gravity when they're sleeping at night by angling the head of the bed. So the way that you need to do that is you can put something thick, like a thick book under the legs or, you know, a piece of wood or something, something big under the two of the legs of the bed or the crib or the bassinet, and that can angle it. You don't want to use pillows. Pillows are not safe until your baby's over two years old. You should not use anything like foam cushions or anything that goes inside the bed because those are all suffocation hazards. So angling the whole bed itself can help. And remember, babies do need to be sleeping in a safe surface if if it's nighttime. So it's not okay to have them like in a stroller or car seat or swing at nighttime when you're sleeping. Those are only okay when you're observing. So there are medicines for reflux. Things like ranitidine are medicines that decrease the acidity of the stomach acid. But what they don't do is decrease the amount of spit-ups. So I don't love these medicines. They're really good if your baby's like having trouble with aspirating and cough and they're in a lot of pain when they're refluxing. That's a good time to, to use these medicines. But in terms of, you know, if they're not gaining weight very well or just like the volume's quite a lot, it's not going to change that at all. It's only changing the pH of what they spit up. So, you know, these medicines, and they do have some side effects. Uh, it's come out recently that they can decrease baby's bone density and make it a little bit more likely that they're going to get a fracture or a broken bone later in life. Reasons to call your doctor when your baby's spitting up. So if they spit up more than half of their food, that's too much. They're not getting enough in to grow adequately. So you need to call your doctor. And that's like, not like a one-time thing, you know, like if it happens a few times in a row, two, three, four times, call your doctor. If it looks like they're in pain when they spit up, if they appear to be choking, if they ever turn blue, you need to call 911, take them right in or call whatever your emergency number is in your country. And then also if it starts to become more and more frequent and if baby seems really hungry after they're spitting up, those are signs that your baby's not getting enough food in and would need to be seen by the doctor. Sometimes that can be a sign of something called pyloric stenosis. The pylorus is the part that connects the stomach with the intestines. So that's kind of the outlet of the stomach. And pyloric stenosis is when that muscle grows too thick. And as it grows thicker, the lumen or the um, hole that goes through the middle of it gets kind of squished down and smaller. And so what happens is like less and less food is able to pass into the intestines over time. And it takes days, uh, you know, several days that it gets like worse and worse over, you know, for this to develop. It's not like a sudden thing. If you notice your baby is spitting up more and more volume and more and more frequency, that could be a sign of that. And then also if your baby ever throws up and it's green. So yellow is okay. Yellow is the color of stomach acid, but green is bile. So if it looks like there's like grass in colored throw up, that is a bad sign. That's usually a sign of a blockage and you need to, to take your baby in right away to be checked out. All right. So for vomiting, vomiting is forceful. And so vomiting involves the abdominal muscles and a retching movement. And so you'll, you'll see babies, you know, neck come forward. They'll, they'll be uncomfortable. And a lot of times they'll cry after vomiting too. Now projectile vomiting, I hear a lot of parents use the word projectile vomiting. It's kind of a fun word, isn't it? But true projectile vomiting is going to go about two or three feet. But remember, sometimes spit-ups can go pretty far too because there can sometimes be an air bubble behind it. 
So if it's forceful with this retching movement and it goes far, that's projectile vomiting. Vomiting is always a red flag. Now, a red flag doesn't necessarily mean something is wrong. It means something might be wrong. So it means you need to call your doctor and ask about it. So if your baby is vomiting, call your doctor and they can get a better sense over the phone as to whether or not your baby's becoming dehydrated or needing to be seen or not, or if it just sounds like normal spit-ups. There's really no treatment for vomiting in babies. We don't give them medicines for it. We just try to keep them hydrated. So in a baby who's less than six months old, who's exclusively formula breastfed, their treatment is really just to feed them more often. You don't want to add any extra water in. You should not water down their formula. You should not add water if you're breastfeeding. You really just want to give them whatever they're normally eating and just give smaller amounts and more frequently. Once they get over six months of age, it is okay to give water. And I would just do little sips at a time. You can even use a syringe to give it because you really just want to give a tiny amount, like five to 10 mLs, you know, like a teaspoon or two at a time. Keep them hydrated. All right, with diarrhea, sometimes it's hard to tell in newborns. We were talking about this a minute ago, you know, where their poop can be really liquidy. But if it soaks into the diaper rather than sitting on top of the diaper, that's usually a sign that it's actually diarrhea. So also if it's increased in frequency by quite a lot, like if your baby is normally, say, a four time a day pooper, and then suddenly they go four times in an hour or two, that's probably diarrhea, right? If your baby normally poops 12 times a day and now they're going 20 times a day, that's diarrhea. So when there's a marked increase like that, or you just notice like a couple of back-to-back poops where you're like, wow, normally it's at least, you know, six hours between or a couple days between, and they just had several in a row, that's time to call your doctor. And really, I mean, if you're ever worried, it's always okay to call and see. Also, if there's a big volume of poops, so if they have blowout poops that like come out of the diaper, you know, up the onesie, those are normal once in a while. Like if they haven't gone for a couple of days and they're, you know, around a month old, blowouts happen pretty much all the time. But if they're having blowouts, like a couple blowouts within the same day, so more than two blowouts in the same day, I'd be a little more nervous then. Also, if you notice a really bad smell that didn't used to be there and you haven't changed anything like in their diet, so you haven't changed formulas or, you know, started adding foods in or anything, but just like sort of a sour smell or like a putrid smell, that can sometimes be an indication of an infection as well of diarrhea. If your baby has fever or if they have blood in their stool, you need to go to the emergency room if they're less than six months old and you need to call your doctor if they're over six months old. Um, there's not really any treatment for diarrhea in babies either. We don't give them, you know, Imodium or whatever you'd give to adults. Children, if you give them anti-diarrhea medicines, it tends to just hold the infection in there longer and they get sicker because it can sometimes even go into their bloodstream and cause sepsis. So we don't really treat diarrhea itself. What we do do is try to keep them hydrated. So just like with vomiting, you want to give them little sips of liquid at a time and, um, you know, consistently throughout the day. And that can help to keep them hydrated. You don't want to add in anything if they're less than six months old. You don't want to be giving them, you know, any extra fluids other than breast milk or formula. But once they're over six months, it is okay to do water and also things that have electrolytes in them. You can look up oral rehydration solution. It's basically water with sugar and a tiny bit of salt in it. And that can help rehydrate baby really well. Other options would be watered down juice. So again, 
over six months of age, and really they shouldn't have juice until a year, but if you're making it super watery, you're going to do like one quarter juice and three quarters water and just give them little sips of that if you don't have, you know, sugar and salt to make rehydration solution. There are also, you know, commercial drinks like Pedialyte or Gatorade or Powerade or things like that. And um, again, those are, those are okay. I don't love the artificial colors and you can make a healthier version of that with just sugar and salt at home. So, but those are also options as well. Signs of dehydration in babies. So when to get a little worried that you might need to call your doctor, that they're getting dehydrated. If their urine output decreases, like I had said earlier, if they seem really fussy, that's sometimes a sign. And if they're seeming lethargic, that's usually a later sign and, and, and a pretty bad sign. So you'd need to call your doctor right away. And then another early sign is that their lips will get kind of dry and cracked and their tongue can look kind of dry and sticky. So if you're seeing the dry lips and tongue, that could be a sign that they're dehydrated. Now, also, if your baby's at the point where they're throwing up pretty much everything that you give them, or they're having so much diarrhea that you just can't get them to eat enough to replace that, you do need to go in to the hospital and probably baby might need a little bit of IV fluids to help hydrate them up. But ideally, if you can get them hydrated by mouth, that's the best for everybody. All right, constipation. So for infants, constipation is really different in infants in the first year of life than for children over one year of life. And we're going to talk about constipation in older children one year and up again in a few months when we're into the toddler age. So for right now, this is this only applies to children less than a year of age. So normally, so with constipation, for the first 48 hours, you know, we give them 48 hours to poop. And that first poop is that meconium. And babies who have delayed meconium are more likely to have something else going on, like some sort of genetic condition. So if your baby's first poop is delayed, sometimes that's a sign of something. So talk to your doctor about it because it can be a whole bunch of different things that range from totally normal to, you know, potentially dangerous. Ask your doctor because they're going to need more more history than that. But delayed meconium could be could be a sign of something going on in their gut. Then around a one month of age, all babies act like they're constipated. They go through this phase. It, it's typically four to six weeks of life. And typically if you were to, so like preemies get it later. Uh, so if you took the sort of weeks of gestation and if their due date is 40 weeks of gestation, then this happens around 44 to 46 weeks, if that makes sense. So it happens earlier in babies that are born after their due date. What's happening is they're they're trying to coordinate their muscles to learn how to control their poop because before that poop is just leaking out, their guts are moving every time they eat and the poop just like leaks out. So they're like, hey, I think I can work on this. They squeeze their anal sphincter closed to keep it in. And then they're like, okay, let's try this. They squeeze their belly down while the anal sphincter is closed and nothing comes out and they grunt and they cry and they look miserable. And I, I mean, it is a little miserable, but it's something that they will outgrow and there's no treatment for that. You just have to let them work through it. So don't give them any medicines. Don't put anything in their bottom. You can do the, you know, the tummy time, the bicycle legs, the belly rubs and the back rubs but that's about all you can do. So you don't want to be any more aggressive than that. They will outgrow it in probably two to three weeks is typical. Then after that, so only about 3% of infants get actual constipation. And that's going to be really hard stools. They look like pellets. If you've ever seen deer poop or sheep poop or rabbit poop, they're like those hard little pellets. And if it looks like that in their diaper then that is a sign of true constipation. Also, if they have any pain while they're pooping or if they have any bleeding, that can be a sign as well. So there's a few different treatments for that. You want to increase fluids. 
if they're less than six months and not yet taking foods, you want to just increase, you know, how much you're feeding them of breast milk or formula. If they are taking solids or purees, if they're over six months old, you can start giving them water as well. And I do recommend giving water when you start food and offering about one ounce of water for every one to two ounces of food that they eat. So if they eat, say, two ounces of blended spinach, you can give them one to two ounces of water with that. Dairy is something that can cause constipation. And if your baby has just started on formula or if mom doesn't eat a whole lot of dairy and then she does, that can sometimes cause babies to be constipated. So you can consider eliminating dairy from your diet if you're breastfeeding, but it can take six to eight weeks to see the full effect of that. So it's a really long time, like month and a half to two months. Or if they're on a dairy or cow's milk-based formula, sometimes going to a hydrolyzed formula can help with that. And sometimes even a soy formula can help. This is sort of the exception when we could go from a cow's milk to a soy-based formula is when babies are constipated. But a lot of times we'll just go straight to that hydrolyzed because it's less allergenic. Prune juice is something that we can give to babies as a medication, and we treat it as a medication. It's not a juice. It's not for drinking. It's a medicine. So when you're giving prune juice, you're just giving half an ounce to an ounce at a time, which is 15 to 30 mLs once or twice a day. And I would start on the low end of that. So start with half an ounce once and see if that helps. If, it, if baby still doesn't poop by that night or if their poop is still coming out really hard, maybe give another half an ounce in the evening. If that's not working, go up to one ounce the next day in the morning. And if you give too much prune juice, baby's going to get some profuse diarrhea. Prune juice is pretty irritating to the gut and it just makes everything kind of flush out. So yeah, too much of that will cause diarrhea. So you want to just kind of titrate carefully with that. Don't water it down. Don't give it after they've finished eating because it's not going to do anything. You want to give it between meals or right before they eat. And that's when it'll help the best. And the last thing we're going to talk about today is blood in the diaper. So there's one time that blood in the diaper is normal. And that is for baby girls. When they are very first born between three and five days old, they can have something called pseudomenses. And that's like a fake period or false period that happens. I mean, it's a real period. It's, <laughs> but that's what it's called. It's called that. It's just because of the hormones. When baby was inside of mom and had all those adult hormones in their in their bloodstream, you know, and then they come out and they're born, they're not producing those hormones yet until until puberty. So that withdrawal of the hormones is what triggers a period sometimes. It can happen in as much as 25% of baby girls and uh, usually only lasts like one or two diapers, sometimes a day or two, but it usually passes pretty quickly. It can just be really scary to open the diaper and see some bright red blood. So if your baby is less than a week old and a girl and you see a little bit of blood in the diaper, check to see where it's coming from. If it's mixed with the poop, that's actually blood in the stool and that's a sign of an allergy. But if it's, you know, if it looks like it's coming out of their vagina and usually you can tell, then that, that's the pseudomenses. So any other time blood in the diaper is not normal and you should call your doctor because it's a red flag. So again, red flag means there might be something wrong in this case. It, it, yeah, blood in the stool is not normal. So call them. If there's blood in their urine, that usually indicates a kidney problem. And if there's blood in, in their poop, that usually indicates that they have an infection or an allergy, like a food allergy. So your doctor can do a urinalysis in the office and or a hemocult test, which is like you know, checking for blood in the stool and can t tell you at least where it's coming from. And then you can go from there for the workup. Now, there are some foods that mimic blood. And I've had a handful of babies in the emergency room with what the parents thought was a bloody diaper, but it wasn't. So the foods that I've seen are the biggest culprits 
watermelon. Watermelon is one that once you digest it and like all that water is out of it, it turns into these strings that are red and it looks just like blood clots. So that one's really a big culprit, especially like the first time babies eat watermelon. It's delicious and they tend to eat a ton of it. So I've seen that a lot. Uh, tomatoes is another one. We had a, a baby that, you know, after their first lasagna was in the ER because mom was sure that there was blood in it, but it was just the tomatoes. And beets. Beets are another one that can cause uh, what looks like blood. And with beets, when children are older too, like the, the poop sitting in the toilet, the, um, the beets will like leach out if they don't flush and you'll, and you'll see like all the water turn red. So uh, beets are a big one that cause what looks like blood, but it's not. Yeah, if you think your baby might have blood in their poop, but you're not quite sure, think over what they've eaten for the last day. If they are breastfed or formula fed, you need to call your doctor. But if they're not, see if it could have been something they ate. And if you can't think of anything at all, yeah, call your doctor or, of course, anytime you're worried. So I hope this helps you guys know like what's within normal range, when to be concerned, when to call. And remember, it's always okay to call if you're worried or if you have questions. Remember that babies are really different than adults. So sometimes it can be hard for parents to tell if something's serious or not. And really, that's not your job. That is my job and you know the healthcare community's job to figure out. So if you're not sure, give us a call. We'll talk through it and figure it out. And I wrote the baby manual for that reason too. And I put out this podcast for that reason, just like to help parents, you know, to know what's okay, what's not okay and help you decide and, you know, put the power in your hands to decide if you really need to be worried or not. With the baby manual book, I know a lot of parents have told me they refer back to it through the first year of life, like even up to the first year to make sure that, you know, what's going on is normal and whether or not they need to be concerned. So really, I hope this helps all of you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Baby Manual podcast. Please hit that subscribe button below so you don't miss the new episodes when they come out. I would also love it if you could leave me a review. If you'd like to buy a copy of the Baby Manual, it's on Amazon and Kindle. I'm the author, Dr. Carol Keim, and that's spelled K-E-I-M. You can also follow me on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook to get some quick baby tips that will make you feel like an expert. Thanks for listening.